This episode of The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This Kindle book was brought to you by Dr. Damien Dauphiné, discussing specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic populations. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, And each week, the pod doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week, discussing all the crazy ways the amazing foot can go wrong and cause us problems. Like us on Spotify and Apple and other platforms where you find favorite podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and follow us via our videos on YouTube and like and subscribe. And again, thank you for joining us on this journey with the Pod Doctors. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. We are back today discussing nerve entrapments, specifically Morton's neuroma. Dr. Hussein, uh, tell us what you got. Morton's neuroma. So what is a Morton's neuroma? It's a nerve entrapment. Now, all nerve entrapments are similar. They're all very painful. You have the electric shock. You have the pain. Specific um, types of pain, right? So burning, tingling, shooting, uh, very different than bone pain, which is usually a dull ache. So let's go through some of the common nerve entrapments, and then we'll get to Morton's neuroma. Tarsal tunnel syndrome. So tarsal tunnel syndrome is like the foot's equivalent of carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, you get the tingling numbness usually in the bottom of your foot. Sometimes you'll feel it all the way to your toes. A lot of patients say uh, it feels like I'm wearing like an extra pair of socks. Yeah, any, anything from burning, stabbing, shooting pain. Sometimes it can be related to or it can be referred to the heel, which makes it confusing when you're dealing with someone who has plantar fasciitis. Is it nerve pain or is it... Is it coming from the, the ligament? But yeah, they usually get uh, another description can be a, where it feels tight. And that's usually um, an anesthesia issue. So then, in other words, not from anesthesia, but but anesthesia meaning lack of sensation or loss of sensation. So you, they can feel like somebody's tied a belt around that part of their foot uh, at the ankle level, even at the, the midfoot. But you can tap over that nerve and get tingling all the way out into the toes when that nerve is entrapped at that site. So it's a, a pretty specific physical sign that we look for. Deep peroneal nerve entrapment. So this is the nerve that comes and innervates the top of your foot. There are a bunch of retinaculums that hold down the top of your foot, the ligaments and tendons that come across there, and it can get impinged in that uh, pathway. Sometimes it could be from osteophytes or arthritis. Sometimes it could be from tight shoes. Sometimes it could be from trauma. So in that area, though, the most common area is where it falls underneath the eccentral lucis brevis tendon, which is actually incorrect in that picture. Yeah, I know. So yeah, have, I noticed that when you said that. Some people have both, though. You'll see some people who have two branches, and they'll have a separation at that site where one goes underneath the ligament or the tendon, one goes above the tendon, and then they both dive into the first interspace. So this nerve, as far as the foot's concerned, is really 
uh, only innervating that first inner space. So it doesn't yeah, so seem like... so between your first and second toe. Right, so it, yeah, maybe not that big a deal, but this nerve is extremely important in the ability to pull your foot up. And if you lose the ability for the deep fibular nerve, it's now called the deep fibular nerve, to do its motor function in the leg, then you have a drop foot and you can't pick your foot up. So it's a very important motor motor branch higher up. At this level, at the foot level, it's it's uh, the majority of it is sensory. So it is a nerve that we can we can decompress uh, effectively at that level. Now, have you ever seen drop hallux to this nerve when it's lower down in uh, innervation, when it gets blocked off? Because I've had two patients in the past that have had that, where the innervation for the extensor hallucis. Well, that's that's all coming from from the the calf level, yeah. So if you've yeah. got either a traction injury, uh, blunt force trauma, or an entrapment at the common branch at the lateral fibula, if it's if it's selecting the motor branches going to the deep fibular nerve, that can affect your extensor lucis longus, and they can have a drop toe. Ab- absolutely, people, but you can also see that with a stroke. Yeah. So some people, it's you know, it's an upper motor neuron problem. You know, it's a problem at the brain level. So uh, it's not always a local problem. Common prono nerve entrapment. So, so yeah, this 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 is, uh, you know, again, it's called the fibular nerve now. We still use perineal because the insurance companies still want us to call it that uh, <laughs> when you're doing the surgery to fix it. But I can see here you've got a masonew fracture, so a real high fibular fracture. That's one possible etiology. But I'll tell you that the one that we see most commonly in non-diabetic patients is people who have had total knee arthroplasty. So if you've had a total knee replacement, the, the traction that the surgeon is putting on the tissues to open up the front of the knee can uh, irritate, impinge, or, or put a, a traction or a stretch on that particular nerve. And nerves do not like to get stretched. So you can see the nerves getting stretched when the bone is, is fractured and you've got, um, you've got a, a dislocation of the fibula there. But it can happen just uh, simply during a two or three hour total knee. Uh, hopefully they're not taking that long, but they, uh, you know, they clearly can. And that's a long time to have the nerve put in a bad position. Another reason these things get dinged up because it's so superficial is football injuries. You get, you know, a kid gets tackled and it gets dinged with with a helmet blow. That's usually something that recovers. It's usually a neuropraxia, so a temporary nerve injury that recovers. But in our diabetic population, you can see how this nerve in your upper right picture there is is underneath a fascial band and then immediately on top of the bone. There's, there's very little room for the nerve uh, to adjust if those tissues get stiff or hard or, or glycosylated with diabetes. And so that nerve can get entrapped very easily there. And the symptoms can look like all kinds of other stuff. So it gets missed all the time. One of the most common nerve entrapments in the entire human body, and it gets missed constantly. Yeah, uh, the ideal situation for a nerve is nice fatty tissue, a lot of room to wiggle it around. When it's pinched up against the bone like this, it becomes angry, inflamed, and that's when you get the symptoms. I mean, with this, you can get the drop foot problem. If it's bad enough, you can have motor symptoms. Typically, it's it's usually sensory symptoms first, where they'll have pain going down the lateral calf, pain in the front of the leg, numbness and pain in the top of the foot. That's again where you know people they say it feels like I've got a belt tied around my yeah. leg or my foot. Uh, you got to follow the distribution. I know you've got a good slide coming up showing the, the distributions of the sensory distributions where these nerves are, are innervating the skin, and we can use that at, at, to our advantage when we're trying to diagnose these. Now, the boots that we give out, the cam boots and the casts and stuff, another common Yeah, you have cause. to be careful with those. Yeah, if the, if 
you've got it on too tight or they swell significantly in a cast or, or in a cambu, they got the cambu on too tight, they can impinge that nerve. Thankfully, that's usually a neuropraxia and usually yeah. you, you get rid of the uh, you get rid of the compression point and that usually gets better on its own. Um, but yeah, there are times when it doesn't and when things linger. The other thing that can happen, again, we talked, we touched about this on in our ankle sprain uh, uh, episode coming up here soon where an inversion ankle injury like this can stretch that nerve. And that's, that's a, a very, I think a not, not so infrequent problem that gets missed because everybody's focused on, on the ligament and on the yeah. joint and you get that healed up and the patient's still having these lingering problems. They're, they're complaining of pain. Maybe they're not describing the pain real well. So it, everybody seems to think it's still the stuff that got injured at the original injury and it's not. It's a stretch or a traction injury. Maybe the nerve's getting kinked where it comes out of the fascia. That picture's beautiful. You got a great picture there showing where the, the superficial fibular nerve, which is the superficial branch of that common, comes out of the fascia. It's coming from deep muscle through the fascia out into the superficial fascial layer in the where the fat is underneath the skin. And if that little hole gets scarred or tight, that's a that's a problem. The nerve doesn't like that. And so we go in surgically and we release that tissue and they do great. Yeah, I've searched for these pictures forever. Forewarning, these are not our pictures. I did a work site at the end of this, just dotting our T's and crossing our eyes, right? Yeah, we're we're doing this for educational reasons. You know, we're 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 gonna give credit uh, where credit is due um, whenever we can. You saw the the picture before was from the Adam Discs or the Adam website. So we'll, we'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, again, this is purely for educational purposes. Um, we're not making any money off this podcast. Just to let everybody know, that's how it works. We're trying to be uh, altruistic in that regard. So this is a good, you've got a nice uh, description of some of the, the issues that people that people complain of when they come in. So, you know, hypoesthesia definition, that's a good definition, reduced perception of a non-painful stimuli. Hypoalgesia, reduced perception of painful stimuli. I think allodynia, when you go down the list a little bit, that one's important because that's pain induced by something that's a non-noxious stimuli, meaning if someone just strokes cotton yeah. along your skin, that shouldn't be painful. But for some of these folks who have a nerve entrapment or, or a true nerve injury, it's excruciating. They hate yeah. it. Even even the, the breeze blowing by or the so fan. My, so my most common statement when they talk about this is they can't even bear the weight of their sheets or their blankets on their feet. And that's what makes nerve problems so difficult because they have so many different sensations and so many different um, uh, characteristics. Uh, so determining that, I mean, I can see how a traction injury can be easily overlooked because you're looking for a big ankle sprain, you're looking for like tendon injury, tears, whatever. Right. And then when they're having that... Um, but if you're two months out, three months out, and the patient's still complaining of pain, I think as an as extremity surgeon, you need to be focused on this high level of suspicion for what happened at the time of your injury that is not responding to this pain response that you expect. So it's no longer it's no longer a neuropraxia or, or stage one nerve injury when you get two, three months Now you're talking permanent changes So how do we determine what nerve uh, there's a a wonderful map that your body gives us to determine uh, what nerve innervates what area, what sensation to the big toe is being provided by what nerve. Uh, 
So we use this kind of as our, our guidelines, kind of to determine what nerve is most likely to be the cause. And we use this to determine if it's at the point where it's impinged, like where the most common areas that is impinged, or if it's coming from the lower back, depending on what. Yeah, your, your workup needs to be ruling out, you know, L4, L5, S1 disc level problems. You can rule that out with the patient's history. Have they had surgery for that? Um, you can do a straight leg raise. There are other tests, you know, mechanical tests that you can run to determine if somebody has has something that looks like a radiculopathy. Maybe it's been misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Most radiculopathy time, means that the nerves pinched off yeah, uh, between the, the vertebrae at the disc level. Yeah, and you can you could have a herniated disc. There's all kinds of things that can cause an impingement or an entrapment of the nerve at the at the spinal cord level. But once you've ruled that out, and you can rule that out with nerve conduction studies, EMG, you know, that's a pretty powerful yeah. way to rule that out. Those tests aren't as helpful for localizing local nerve entrapments in the lower extremity, but they're really pretty good at ruling out uh, radiculopathy or an impingement at the spinal cord level because you're going to see fibrillation in the muscles around the spinal cord where, where you don't have this, this really nice uh, waveform. It's now, it looks like sawtooth waveform. So it, the, the muscle's literally twitching. Uh, and that background electrical activity in the muscle is indication that there's an entrapment on, at the at the spinal cord level. So Sometimes it's used that. as a, a test of exclusion. So if you're kind of right. concerned if is it coming from the lower extremity, is it you know common peroneal nerve entrapment, or is it um, lumbar radiculopathy? So sometimes you can get that kind of test done to determine. Right, and and the thing that's confusing to patients is they'll have somebody order that test. And it's going to come back, quote unquote, normal for the lower extremity. And we have to interpret that with them. And we have to say, hey, look, you know, this test has limits. X-rays have limits. X-rays don't show stress fractures right off the bat oftentimes. And that doesn't mean the x-ray is a bad test. It just means it has limits. Same thing goes with nerve conduction studies and electromyograms. When you order those, you need to be able to, to interpret them with the patient and say, hey, look, you have symptoms. You're describing real live symptoms. I'm, I'm not considering you a malingerer. I, I know you've got... You have issues. We've, we can show them the local signs, the tenels where we're tapping over the nerve at the entrapment site and getting zingers out into their toes. That's not something that people can fake very easily. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to determine yeah. that that's, okay, that's a real problem here. And if they have those symptoms and they have other descriptions of their neuritic pain, uh, they, they, they're describing things beautifully straight out of the textbook and their nerve conduction EMG are saying, you know, there's no problem with the lower extremity nerves. You have to be able to couch that with the patient and say, hey, look, you know, this isn't saying you're crazy. This is just not your nerve isn't at a point where it's showing conductivity issues or electromyogram issues at that stage. And if it keeps going, if you allow this entrapment to continue, you may get there. Uh, but we want to try to intervene before that. The Pod Doctors is also brought to you by the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation. The TPMF is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting medical missions, charitable outreach, and medical education that enhance the quality of life for underserved populations. The foundation provides mentoring, training, and networking for postgraduate podiatric medical students and residents and increased access to patient care for the indigent and those in need of treatment for diabetic complications, deformities, birth defects, injuries, and other untreated medical issues. If you want to donate to the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation, please go to our website, www.thepoddoctors.com, and find our GoFundMe account where you can donate to the foundation and help support our medical mission project. 
Our medical mission project is in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is in the state of Guanajuato. Last year, we were in San Miguel for four days and we treated 600 patients and did over 50 surgeries in four days. We were able to go hopefully every year and spend time treating these patients and providing impact in their lives. Let's talk about Morton's neuromas. So probably the most common nerve impingement in the lower extremity. It's specific to the fourth inner space, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a neuroma in any other uh, space. Dr. Thir- Morton. The third third inner space. Oh, sorry. Yeah, third inner space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it can happen in the second and third inner space most commonly. It's way more common in the third. Not exactly sure why, but it may be because of that communicating branch. Yeah, that's what I suspect too. Yeah, and so there, there's there's the, a medial plantar nerve component, there's a lateral plantar nerve component, and that third interspace, they come together. And so that may make that nerve slightly bigger, but it's rare when you open these up, it's rare to see that kind of bulbous nerve. It's usually this spindly little nerve, and you're like, how can that silly little nerve be causing this much trouble? But it's because of the ligament. So there's the deep transverse intermeditarsal ligament that isn't shown in that picture. That, there you go. You've got a picture of it there that, that's connecting those metatarsal heads. And the pain is really uh, being caused by the nerve getting pushed up against that ligament and getting impinged by that ligament. Very much like the carpal tunnel, yeah. uh, median nerve getting impinged on, on that carpal ligament. So the, the answer is uh, the majority of these can be corrected by just simply releasing the ligament, however you want to do that, open or endoscopically. So that's by far, I think, the better choice than to take this nerve out. So for the last 150 years, unfortunately, surgeons have chosen to, the majority of the time, excise this nerve. And once you do that, you've burned a bridge that you cannot go back from. There's a percentage of patients that do very well with that, and they have done very well with that. But I lecture on this often, and I tell surgeons, I'm like, you think your results are impeccable? It's because they're not coming back to you when they have a problem. They figure, well, your answer was hack the nerve out. You don't really have any any place else to go after that. Yeah. So the, the majority of them are finding somebody else. So I think it's it's a sort of a cautionary tale to assume that you have a practice where your first choice is to excise this nerve, and that's your that's your go to, and you don't have problems with it, and your results are 100 <laughs> successful. That's just not happening. There's a good percentage of those patients that didn't do well five, six, seven years down the line. They're just not coming back to you. So we have a very referral-based nerve, peripheral nerve practice. So I get to see all these from other people. And there's a lot of folks out there who have been crippled by taking that nerve out. So our, our first choice by far is to do the ligament release and, and see how they do. Nine out of 10 times it works. Yeah. So very small percentage of these actually need the nerve removed. What would you say are the presenting symptoms that come into your clinic whenever they come in with a Morn's neuroma or any type of energy neuroma? Well, you got to... You've got to pay attention to how they're describing their pain for sure. I mean, they're describing it as burning, tingling, shooting, often hot poker for this particular nerve. Hot poker yeah. feels like somebody is stabbing me with a hot poker. Lighting a match. Yep. And, and they'll have more pain with weight bearing, but then it lingers even when they're off of it. And uh, so that's by far, you, red flags go off in my head when I start hearing that description of pain. Is this very, Any pain very early in the morning? Or is yeah, it after yeah, use? It's mostly, I would say for most folks, it's it's after use. But they can, if it gets bad enough, it'll be yeah. 24-7. It'll be driving them nuts. It'll be this low-level buzzing when they're off of it. And then when they're on it, it'll be hot poker pain. So it, you certainly can, can tease that out of the musculoskeletal problems that could be happening next door. They can have 
a joint dislocation problem like predislocation syndrome of, of yeah. the adjacent metatarsal phalangeal joint. That that can be misdiagnosed as a neuroma or vice versa. You capsulitis, can have both. Yeah, you know, capsulitis, sure. a plantar plate tears. All, all those things can be can be running along with an, a true entrapment at that site or be the true problem and the issue is not the nerve. So you have to be uh, very judicious in your workup of these patients to make sure that you're not simply assuming that it's all coming from the nerve and then taking the nerve out. Hopefully you're not taking the nerve out. But if we can convince you know any of our colleagues out there, both uh, podiatric and orthopedic, you know, try decompressing this nerve. You're going to find good success with that for the yeah. most part. So you get that tingling numbness between the toes. You get that burning, that hot poker sensation. What about the molder click? Uh, yeah. Occasionally you're going to feel that. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock into it. So Usually the molder you click. Just, you push on that inside and in that yeah. inner space and they go through the roof. So the molder click, I love to do it. I just, I think I just, it just depends if you can get it or not. Uh, you squeeze the forefoot, you push that nerve up towards the top of their foot, which pushes the nerve between the, the third and fourth metatarsal, and you can sometimes click it between there, and the patient will definitely feel that shooting pain. Uh, if you don't have a Mulder click, that doesn't mean you don't have a Morton's neuroma, but when you do have Mulder's click, it's confirmation. And usually it just means that the nerve is more inflamed than, than eh, usual. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. The studies would show that Here's the funny thing about this this nerve problem, is that for years they were excised and they were sent to pathology. And there was a cadaveric study that was done about 10 or 15 years ago where they, they, they excised 25 or so nerves in that area, the third inner space, from people who never had any history, medical history of neuroma complaints. And those path reports looked identical to the ones that were taken out in people who had true diagnosed neuromas. Wow. So, you know, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with an entrapment. It's, it's, and it's probably a nerve that gets beat up even in people who don't have symptoms, but it's able to repair itself somehow. It's able to avoid getting getting truly damaged and fibrotic. And in some folks, it doesn't work that way. The nerve gets, you know, really uh, irritable and stays irritable. So, you know, I don't know. I think that if you put, if you pinch that inner space and the patient has, you, you've recreated that pain, you've recreated that sensation for them, that's enough to at least put that on your differential diagnosis. Do you use steroid injections initially? Yeah. So let's go through some treatment options. So this is the kind of a guideline. It's not the end all. There's a lot of other treatment options, but this is kind of what I look into as far as treatment. First thing, proper shoe gear. If the patient is wearing super narrow shoes and they notice the pain most often in those type of shoes, the nerve is being pinched between those metatarsals and that deep transverse metatarsal ligament. Dead uh, ditch them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're just going to make our job so much harder, and you, and you can see just the yeah the design of the toe box is enough to to really provide some relief for some folks. So, yeah, we try to send them to uh, you know a good shoe store that that uh, we like, provide some options for women, specifically women, you know, even guys. I see guys that like to yeah. wear Western boots, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah, those pointy Western boots are just as bad as as a pair of pumps. So, yeah, if they can avoid that, they might be able to avoid surgery. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes they make the change and it gets a little better, but they still yeah. have chronic pain and they still want something done. Orthotics, very simple. There are metatarsal pads. There are morgenomas pads. I honestly think if you keep the metatarsals neutral, like if you're in flexible shoes, your metatarsals are kind of moving a little bit more free. Uh, if you're in a custom orthotic or a good insole, if it's keeping the metatarsals level, it can subdue some of the pain, but it's not going to fix everything. Uh, and uh, those little metatarsal, sorry, the uh, neuroma pads, 
people either love them or they absolutely hate them. I haven't had a patient that likes them I, at it, all. Yeah, I, it's not something I go to very often. This would be in someone who is clearly not a surgical candidate and you're not going to operate on them, which for the endoscopic procedure is is pretty rare because yeah. that's such an easy procedure to do. It's eight minutes in the operating room. doesn't require you know, general anesthesia and, and uh, they heal up um, very quickly. So you know, I, I'm not a big fan of doing multiple injections. I think one or two and you see how they do, but you know, this is a nerve entrap entrapment problem until proven otherwise. It's not this weird uh, growth or, or scarred nerve in all these cases. And so I think uh, it's not unreasonable to jump to something like an endoscopic decompression sooner than later because the the upside is so much greater and the downside is minimized so i think because you're not opening it up it's it can be a pretty good uh, pretty good thing to do this is a nice little ultrasound uh, caveat here so in the picture you can kind of point out where the nerve is the nerve is where the arrow is pointing the stars and the X's are just different bursas that can come in the area. Sometimes you can get a bursa uh, between the nerve and the uh, deep transverse metatarsal ligament. When we give our injections, we're just aiming for the nerve itself because that's what we need to bring the inflammation down. If you read some of these um, interventional radiology studies, some of them actually say aim for the bursa. There hasn't been a true study that explains if one is better than the other. I think if you're putting the steroid there, it's negligible, honestly. It's such a small area. You put, you know, one or two cc's of a little steroid in there, it's going to get to that nerve yeah. and that bursa. I don't think you have to be perfect with it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then again, you have to understand if this is going to potentially relieve some symptoms, but it's not going to fix the entrapment. So it's not a, a local problem specifically with the nerve. It's a local problem with the nerve that is a result of this ligament. So if, yeah, you're, not gonna, if you're not going to get rid of the, the ligament component to this, the patient's probably going to continue to have problems with it. So Morton's endoscopic nerve decompression, the MEND procedure. So this is what Dr. D is talking about as far as release of that nerve. Uh, it's just such a great procedure. You know, I think norectomy for this is something we do only when we have to, uh, you know, to, to do things in 2020 that were still done 100 years ago. That's pretty rare. <laughs> and yeah. so we, we this is one procedure that came out. And that's the funny thing is it's been around almost 30 years since the early, yeah. early 90s. I remember doing them with just a little, you know, two sends and you go with the Mets and just kind of release it that way. Oh, so there's an, oh, that's an open. Um, yeah. And then the endoscopic came out in the early, in the mid 90s though. So it's really not, it's not like this procedure is brand new. It's not at all. And I, and I agree with you. Why, why do you want to, to do this approach? Because your failures aren't coming back to see you. That's really, that's really the issue. So it is, a, it is a ligament problem. It's much like carpal tunnel in that regard. You can use very similar instrumentation to release this ligament. I don't know if you have a picture of that. Do you, do you have a picture of that? I do. I, yeah, there you go. I think these are your patients, yeah, actually. So this is, these are actually from Steve Barrett. So uh, oh. Steve Barrett is uh, one of the developers of this set. So that the retractor on top puts some tension across the ligament because it's much easier to, to yeah, cut a ligament that's under tension, right? It's like, you know, if you got a piece of tissue paper and you, and it's all floppy, it's harder to cut than if you put tension across it. You have a cannula that allows you to put in a camera and you can visualize the ligament. So the upper left-hand picture there, the ligament's intact. And then the upper right, you can see that the ligament's been released. And so, you know, I can do these in about eight minutes. 
yeah. very quick, uh, two stitches and they're back in regular shoes in three days. They're, they're literally bathing at day three because these sites heal up so beautifully. It's and all then, endoscopic, right. tiny, tiny cameras that were going in mm-hmm. doing these. It's a 2.7 millimeter camera. And you can directly visualize the ligament. Now, we're not directly visualizing the nerve. I don't want to mess with the nerve. I don't really care about the nerve. I want to go after the thing that's causing the problem in nine out of 10 cases. So we we release that ligament and then we're done. We put a little steroid in there since we're there, um, put a couple stitches in it, put them in a dressing. They're back in a post-op shoe for three days. And then at day three, they're wearing whatever they want. Very effective. At six months, that's when we decide, did it work? So patients have to be patient enough to wait six months because at six months, we, we will have captured the largest percentage of patients who are going to benefit from the procedure. If we if we bail like at three months, and there are patients where they're like, hey, look, it just doesn't seem like it's working and they want to bail at three months. I, I counsel them. I'm like, hey, look, we could be bailing too soon. Uh, you may be asking me to cut out a nerve that doesn't need to go. Yeah. So you know, this is your choice, but let's really think about this. Because if they do choose to have it removed, you know, there are times where even in my hands, and I do a ton of these, that that, that nerve is still going to be ticked off and it's going to be angry for, you know, the rest of their lives, unfortunately. So that's why we avoid neurectomy as, as much as humanly possible. Yeah, I try to do the little spiel. Skin takes two to three weeks to heal. Bone takes six to eight weeks to heal. Muscles, tendons, ligaments take about three to four months. And nerves, six months to plus years. So 18, well, we say you're not going to reach maximal benefit from that type of procedure until you get out to about 18 months. And then the sensory restoration can reach its maximal benefit. Usually people have pain relief within a few weeks, the vast majority of them, but they still notice some numbness and that numbness takes a long time to recover. So they have to be, you know, folks have to be patient, but at six months, that's when we decide, did it work? Did it not work? And if it didn't work, then we can consider cutting the nerve out and plugging it into muscle or do a number of other things to prevent it from coming back. So taking the nerve out, that's called a neurectomy. Mm-hmm. There's multiple approaches, dorsal, plantar. What you do is you pretty much go in, you find the damaged nerve, you go back to where it's healthy, you cap it off and you bury it either in muscle, tendon, bone, Oh, sorry, not tendon, muscle or bone. Uh, you can also, if you have two nerves in the same area, if you got the second and third interspace nerve, you can do, we do in the middle there is we use that nerve connector. Um, and, and that allows the nerve to grow into itself and usually calm down. Or the nerve cap, you got a picture of the cap there. So that can be very helpful. Yeah, so I typically do the nerve cap and I bury it in the muscle. I think you do the same. Uh, I'll also do, if it's two nerves, I'll do the connector. The yeah. growing, having it grow into itself works great as well. Sometimes you'll use the allograft, um, you know, if patients have had multiple procedures and, and nothing's worked. If they failed muscle translocation, then we'll try the allograft. And the allograft is putting a, a cadaver, a piece of cadaver nerve that's had all the cells removed, so there's no immune response. And it has all the architecture of a nerve. It feels like a nerve, looks like a nerve, but there's no cellular component to it. You can attach that with a connector to your native nerve and then plug that into muscle. And usually what hope you hope to happen is that the nerve literally peters out and stops trying to grow to the end of your graft. And if it does, it's still in a, in a nice muscle belly. So it's still usually happy. And, and that works well for the patient who's had three, four or five procedures done. 
people will usually come to us, you know, some of them having had the nerve removed, having had radio frequency ablation where you're, yeah. they're using a device that literally just torches the nerve in, inside the foot. That's like or the sclerotherapy sc- one. Sclerotherapy. So we've invented like umpteen different ways to destroy nerves and very few the ways one? to help them, which just boggles my mind. Have you seen the one where they freeze it now? Uh, yeah, I mean, the crowd ball has been around for a while. There was yeah. a guy that was purporting to use the crowd ball for tarsal tunnel syndrome and sticking it up into the tarsal tunnel and crowd balling the tibial nerve, which I, you know, I thought was just insane. That's because just you're you're potentially wiping out motor branches. You don't know yeah. if those are going to come back. So uh, yeah, I, I'm a little leery of that stuff. We've had good, really good success when we do have to do a denervation. That's what this is called: is a denervation. You're taking a nerve out is finding it someplace else to go, either capping it and put it into muscle or just putting it into muscle or again, you know, the graft, um, providing some other environment for the nerve endings so that um, the interesting thing about that nerve cap is it, it has a wall built into it. And yeah. that supposedly is trying to prevent the picture on the top here where you've got that bald That nerve. stump neuroma. It's preventing it from turning back on itself and creating the stump. So the, the wall built into the middle prevents those axons from crossing over and doing all kinds of stuff that causes pain. So... Uh, you know, I think it's a it's an interesting technique that seems to be working well in our hands. So the only risk of, you know, taking the nerve out or uh, burying the nerve or anything similar is that you'll get that numbness permanently between that. Uh, well, that's not the only risk. <laughs> that The risk is chronic pain for the rest of your life. Yeah. But yes, that the main thing you have to you have to convince the patient that, okay, and the way you do this is with diagnostic blocks. We should really back up a little bit and talk about diagnostic yeah. blocks. So determining which of these nerves is the problem is is a challenge in some cases. And we use just local anesthetic diagnostic blocks uh, to determine, you know, if a patient comes in with pain on the front of their ankle, off to the side over by the ligament uh, that uh, they've had an ankle sprain, that's probably superficial fibular nerve. We can block that nerve on the calf with local anesthetic, and they're going to get two or three hours of complete numbness. You know, that nerve's going to go to sleep. And if they associate that with pain relief and they're like, oh, that was awesome, I ask them, can you live with the resultant numbness? Because that's going to be the permanent situation if we take that nerve out. So if we can't, if we've already tried decompressing it, let's say they failed all that and we're determined and we're probably going to, have to take that nerve out. The patient at the block, at the nerve block site, needs to be comfortable with the resultant numbness. And if they are, then they're a great candidate for denervation, however you want to do it. And in, in Morton's neuroma slash what we call interdigital neuritis, I'm trying to get away from that term Morton's neuroma because it's it's a bit of a misnomer. It kind of implies that this is like a tumor and bulbous. and It's, it's not, not a true neuroma. It's not, it's, not real, it's not a true neuroma at all. True neuroma is it's been lacerated and now you got a stump. So interdigital neuritis, I think, is a much better term. And if you've determined that you, you've got one or two interspaces that are a problem, you can block one of the interspaces and see how much pain they have at the at the opposite one. So if you block the second and they're they're having no pain, well, you know, the chances are the second is the main pain generator. If you block the second and they still have pain in the third, well, then you probably need to address both, either decompressing both, or or you've tried that and it didn't work, then going in and denervating both. So the diagnostic blocks are critical and probably the most powerful way for us to determine which of these nerves is the true pain generator. And that can also help determine if it's a lateral ankle sprain versus a traction uh, neuritis. Absolutely. Uh, Here's my little works cited page for all you people who want to look up all these pictures and whatnot. But that was our uh, our quick lecture on Morton's neuroma or (laughs) interdigital neuritis.
If you have any questions, concerns, please send us questions. I mean, we'd love to hear from you guys. This is a really important topic because it's such a common problem and and you have options that you might not have known about prior to your surgery, which is unfortunate, but realize that uh, there are peripheral uh, nerve surgeons out there that do do decompression procedures for this. And so you can find them. Um, AENS.us is one website. It's the Association of Extremity Nerve Surgeons. And uh, we'll put that in the show notes and you'll be able to go to that website. There is a physician finder there where you can find upper and lower extremity surgeons who you know, devote most of their time to peripheral nerve. And that's really who you want to, to do this type of work, especially if you've had a bad outcome from an original surgery. And why wouldn't you want to see a specialist for it? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a peripheral nerve is not something you want to mess around with. It's certainly not something that we do as a hobby. You know, it's, that's something that I've been interested in and have studied for you know, 21 years. So it's a big part of my practice. That's why we love it. So very good. Well, I think that was a pretty thorough whip around the, the corner on, uh, on peripheral nerve problems. We did that in a little less than 40 minutes. So that's pretty good. But great. Thanks, Dr. Hussain. Uh, excellent job on the uh, the platform here. And we will see how our videos work in your little boxes that you set here. This is awesome. So hopefully the YouTube video will look better. But yeah, if you guys have comments, if, if we glossed over something that you want to hear more about, please uh, leave us a note either uh, through the YouTube comments or anywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcast. Please like us and follow us and subscribe so that we know you're out there. All right. Take care, guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.